Let's pray together. In the quietness of this moment, would you ask the Lord to speak to you? God, we ask you to do something really great in our life this morning. Pray that you would speak through all the, the stuff and the clutter that we have in our minds and hearts. And we would come out uh, enlightened, encouraged, and challenged. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen? Hey, great to have you this morning. And uh, just great to see you here. Just have a couple of things um, uh, to share with you. Um, and the, well, really the one thing. Um, let me just ask you this. Don't you think JT and the band has just done a wonderful job here in these last months? And um, it um, gives me great honor and privilege to say that in two weeks from today, we will have someone come for a vote to be our next worship pastor. All right? Two weeks from today. <clears throat> Uh, thank you, JT, for that <clears throat> one-person standing ovation. The guy, by the way, that uh, is going to be coming in view of a call will probably see this service and hear this announcement. And so let's do this again. In two weeks, <laughs> we're going to have a, a guy do both, come do both services and come in view of a call to be our new worship pastor. All right, great. We'll just edit out that other, right? Um, now, this morning, you've heard Brad and little John give a, a testimony, a wonderful testimony, about what giving means to him. Now, let me ask you this. What is, what do you think, the hardest sermon to hear there is? What do you think? Somebody shout it out. Tithing? Tithing? How? Money? What else? All right, here's the thing. To many people, that's exactly right. But the hardest sermon that we hear, the toughest one to hear, is the one that really attacks our first love, whatever that is. And to many people, they get off on the tangent because they disobey God at the point of giving. There's just so much goes in the whole idea of money, not just giving, money, period. And as we open up to the book of Proverbs, I want to look at a different type of book, and therefore a different type of preaching. It's difficult to teach through the book of Proverbs because every verse has a different subject. And so what you have to do is compile some of the verses together on certain subjects. And one of the subjects that Proverbs speaks so much about is this whole idea of money, not just giving, but money, period. And so as we look at this these passages this morning, many of them, by the way, will be up on your screen um, in the book of Proverbs, we're going to be looking at the power money has over us. Secondly, why it has power. And then thirdly, how do we overcome? How do we break through that power? Because as we look at the situation, as we said last week, uh, we talked about that mirror in Harry Potter movie where they were looking into the mirror and they were seeing their deepest desires of life. And um, we ask you to look into the mirror. And what was that first love? What, what is the first love of your life? What is it that you worship more than any other thing? Because what happens in our life, we fool ourselves. I used to fool myself all the time thinking, okay, God, I've, I've obeyed you here, 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 and here, and look how much I've grown in the Lord. Now, you're asking me to do this. 
Well, I'm not so sure. Now, for me, it wasn't giving. It was other things, but I'm not so sure. So we think to ourselves, we just sort of stop growing in the Christian life. We just sort of hit a barrier, but we don't. What we do is take a tangent, and we just keep on going. The problem is we're not really going the correct direction. I gave the illustration about you and I have probably experienced it so many times, being on I-75, going to and from um, the rest of the United States, all right? And, uh, you know, kind of only a couple ways out of Florida, 75 and 95. So as you go, you're going down 75, and you get off on an exit, and then you're wanting to get back on. And, of course, a lot of the times, the, uh, the directions are kind of goofy. You know, they'll tell you, I-75, turn here. But what they meant is go past the sign about another 100 yards and then get on. So you turn right there. I've done it before. And you're on a nice access road. And you're thinking to yourself, I can eventually get back on. I, I just keep going. I'll get to the next exit, and I'll eventually get back on. But you never do because, as you look, the interstate just get, keeps getting further and further and further away. And that's what's happening in our Christian life. And we said the only way to return back to your first love is to repent. That is to go back to the place where you got off and get back on at that point. It's the only place you can do it. And so we've looked at that. Now we want to look at something very specific probably more than anything else, it takes our love away from Christ, according to the book of Proverbs. So the first thing I want us to look at this morning, very simple, how does money have power over us? How does money have power over us? Well, over in Proverbs chapter 10, if we can just begin there, verses 15 and 16, it says, the rich man's wealth is his fortress. The ruin of the poor is their poverty. The wages, and this is the one I really want us to concentrate on, the wages of the righteous is life and the income of the wicked punishment. What does money bring to our life? It brings an influence that's just not good, or it could be good. You see, money's kind of neutral, really. You know, you say, well, the Bible says money's the root of all evil. No, it really says in the original language, money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so it can be something horrible, but it can be something very good. Notice it says the wages of the righteous is life. Now, when you look at the word righteous in the book of Proverbs, it's really, uh, uh, it's really along the same lines as the person of wisdom, the person who is doing the right things, the person who is following in the steps of the Lord. While the Bible talks about the wicked as being the same thing as the fool, the person who's really living according to themselves benefiting themselves the most. And so with that in mind, this is a striking statement. It says money in the hands of the righteous people can bring life. It can bring good. It can bring positive things in the life. But notice it says the income of the wicked punishment. Now we can see this in just the area of greed alone. You know, here's a person that's a, a Christian and they have a business and so they, they're making profits, and they think to themselves, you know, really, I ought to keep prices as low as I can, and I ought to pay as good a wages as I can. And so because the money is in his hands, he's able to bless those who maybe would not be blessed before. He's able to pay, pay higher wages. On the other hand, the person uh, who is unrighteous, the wicked, the foolish one, centers things around themselves. All that matters is profit. 
Now, profit's a good thing, and everybody ought to be concerned with that because without it, you can't be in business. But here's the person that thinks to themselves, I, can be gener- I can't be generous with my employees. The bottom line is, how much money is I'm, am I making? I'm going to raise prices as much as I can. I'm going to lower wages as much as I can. And you can just see that by that example alone, the greed that comes in as we have influence or lack of influence in our life. Francis Schaeffer, years ago, about 40 years ago, said that if, um, if we have done just things differently as Christian businesses, and I'm not saying he's right or wrong, I'm just saying he's, he's got a good point. And that is, instead of trying to make as much profit as possible, then giving it to charity, what we should have done is raise the wages of the workers, then what they would have done, they would have had a better testimony. They would have been able to give more. They'd have been able to multiply things more. They'd have had a better testimony, and they would have been better for the cause of Christ. And so he said, over the long haul, that would have just been a better thing to do. Proverbs exactly really agrees with him. He said, money in the hands of a righteous person is good, but otherwise, in the wicked, it's greed. But also, it has the power to deter your love. You take away your first love. Really, the power to get into the soul and, and to ruin your life. Notice it says in Proverbs 11.1, 1, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight <clears throat> is his delight. The word abomination <clears throat> is often used in the Bible for sexual immorality. That's an abomination unto the Lord. Well, he's saying, look, greed is also an abomination unto the Lord. When you have money to rule over your life, it's a bad thing. He says it makes you dishonest. You sacrifice your integrity on the altar of money. He says a just weight is his delight. Now, back in this time, what they would do, they'd bring their, their grain to the... Uh, um, to, to the buyer. He had put it on the scale and they'd weigh it and that's, that would determine how much money that you're going to get for your crop. Now, uh, what some of the people would do, dishonest, they would, they would take the scales and they would unbalance the scales in the beginning and it would be in a negative and when you put the grain on there, they would always just shave a little bit off each time. Your integrity just wasn't worth much, was it? Uh, the other day, I had the uh, privilege of trying out some uh, golf clubs I got for Christmas. First time I've been, I've been able to play with them. And so uh, myself and a couple of staff guys uh, went out and played nine holes of golf over here at Twin Rivers. And we were there, and I had my sunglasses on at the driving range. You know, you got to warm up. I really needed a whole practice bucket, you know, not just a warm-up. But anyway, I put my sunglasses down, and years ago, my family shamed me into buying some good sunglasses. I was going through a pair about every other week. Either they, you know, these $20, $15 pair, you buy at the mall, they'd either break or I'd lose them because I didn't care. I just didn't keep up with them. And uh, my son especially kept telling me, if you bought yourself a good pair of sunglasses, you'd keep up with them. Well, sure enough, I got a pair uh, a few years ago, I think for a gift, and I've kept up with them, some Ray-Bans. And so I'm putting them, however, on the side, and I'm thinking, I cannot forget these sunglasses. They are worth more than 20 bucks, right? And so I put my golf club right over here beside them. And so I was hitting, and I turned around and looked at my wife. Oh, I said, it's it's our tea time. So we grabbed our clubs, and I I took the club, and I left the sunglasses looking right at them. So I'm playing nine holes of golf, and of course you can imagine what happened. You go back, and what? They're, they're gone, right? No. 
they were still there. But you see, here's the thing. Every single one of you were surprised by that. That somebody, somebody wouldn't have just taken those sunglasses for themselves. Nobody would have ever known. Why? Because our integrity doesn't, doesn't really cost much. I remember working in a grocery store as a teenager, and I was checking out, and this happened probably more than once, but I can remember one time in particular. You know, back then you had these cash registers, you had to push all these buttons, and we didn't have as many grocery stores. And, and so the, on Saturdays, the, the lines would actually back up into the, into the aisles. And so we were trying to go as fast as we could, and I gave the wrong change back to this guy. I gave him $10 too much. And then when I realized it, I turned around and said, sir. And he turned around and just kind of smiled. And he says, well, you can't blame me for trying. And I wanted to say to him, that's how much your character's worth, 10 bucks. Because we're willing to sacrifice anything just for a little more when not only greed takes place, but also it's, there's character flaws there simply because what? Money is worth so much to us. But then thirdly, it has the power really to destroy your life. Uh, it says in Proverbs 11:4, riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. You put all your money into yourself because of the greed and because you look into the mirror and that's what's there. Material gains are there in the mirror of desire. And because of that, you put all of it there and the riches don't really profit in the day of wrath. Now, this is not the same kind of wrath we're talking about um, in, we'll say, the book of Revelation to, tonight. In fact, we're going to be looking. Boy, didn't we have a great service last Sunday night? Wow. <laughs> Place was packed in Legacy Hall. Just the Spirit of God moved. And tonight we're going to be back talking about the rapture and, um, you know, catching up with all the saints before the tribulation, all that. And, uh, you know, JT has agreed that if Jesus comes back, before that happens, he's going to take charge of the service. I appreciate that, buddy. <laughs> That's so funny. I used that on Gary in the first hour. And about just before I got to preach, <clears throat> I used it during the welcome. He got me and says, you know, I just now got that. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're looking at this, and it says the great day of wrath. What is that? It just means a bad day. The day that things just cave in on you. The day that you lose a loved one to death. The day that your children or your parents break your heart. The only thing that money solves is money problems and really not very well there because we tend to live at the level of our income and beyond, whatever that is. And so the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, it just doesn't really help you in the day of wrath. And therefore, because of that, because of that, it, it really doesn't help. Listen to Proverbs 30, verse 8. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion. Why? Because there's character issues here. There's integrity issues. And we think to ourselves, I've got it. Why, why, why does money give us that kind of confidence? It's amazing to me. That there, well, there are people here, for example, there may be an auto mechanic, mechanic here, and you, you are an expert on automobiles. There's no question about it. Uh, there's another person here that's in real estate, and you are the expert on real estate. Somebody else in insurance. Somebody else is an engineer. And you're an expert in, the, in your field. But people with money think they're an expert on everything. They do. 
because people, the way they look, the way other people look at them, they want something from them. They felt like they may be a little smarter than the next guy because they're making so much money. Money gives you that kind of confidence, and it's a false confidence in your life. And because of that, there's no humility there. The Bible says the only way that we can get the grace of God in our life is through humility, but pride here goes before destruction. To see, it's been said, to see a man humble under prosperity is the greatest rarity in the world. And so why does this happen? Why does money ruin our life? Why does it have this kind of hold over our life, this kind of power? Well, I want you to look secondly then in answering that question. Why? Why does money have power over us? Well, one thing is because it gives us a sense of security that's just not there. Listen to Proverbs 18. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and is safe. Now notice the contrast that he's making here. A rich man's wealth, then, is his strong city. It's his, his, it's his strong tower. And like a high wall in his own imagination. There's two things I want us to center in here, just for a moment. The, the phrase strong city, that is the rich man's wealth, is like a strong tower to him. And then this word imagination. There is safety in security, people think, in money. You know, I make the money, I hoard the money. If I've got enough money, I'm secure. If I don't have enough money, I'm not secure. But the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The name means the power, stands for the power of God, the character of God. You can trust the character of God. The righteous, the wise person runs into the Lord and is in him and gets true security in life. But money really offers itself to be your God, to be your source of safety, source of security, and it's a false security. Are you ready for another recession? Are you ready if there is a death in the family? Is, that going, is the money going to really help you? No, that money doesn't help much, but it does give us that false sense of security, and so it begs us to worship it and therefore inflates our identity. That's where the word imagination comes in. If there's an inflation here in our imagination of who we are, what we represent, and how important we are. Now, all of us here, if we were honest with ourselves, are born with insecurities. All of us are. Um, and, and when Adam and Eve sinned against God, they hid themselves in the brush. And they, they recognized the fact they were naked. They were very insecure, laying naked before God. We deal with those in, insecurities. In that first movie, Rocky, with Rocky Balboa, and he was talking to his trainer. And he says, why do you want to do this anyway? He says, because I know if I go 15 rounds with Apollo Creed, then I know I'm not a bum. All of us seek that. We, we just don't want to be a bum. Money says to everybody, I'm important. I have security within myself. And because of that, money leads to that idolatry. We look in the mirror of desire, and we, if we don't see money, we want the things that money can bring us, either possessions, security, importance, inflated self-identity, inflated ego, whatever it may be, we want that in our life. But if it's not, you say, well, I know that's not mine, God. Well, let me ask you this. If you and I, any of us, went home today, turned on our computer, looked at it, and said, "Woo, what happened to my money? My retirement is gone. My bank accounts are empty. 
I made a bad investment. What would happen to us? One thing I noticed during the recession, back in 07, 08, 09, you would have expected, you really would have expected maybe revival to break out in the land because a God in America was destroyed, at least really crippled. But instead of that happening in churches all over America, people started going less and never have recovered. Less to church, dropping out of church, being done with church. Why? Because God did not come through for them financially and he did not feed their God. Our God fell. And instead of turning to the true God, we blamed the more powerful one for not coming through for us. But hey, if it's not your God, it's not your God. That's, that's the case of a lot of people. But it reveals your God. Here's what the Bible says. Jesus said this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wherever you're spending your money is where your heart is. And if it's not, it will be. Wherever you are spending your money, that's basically where it is. Now, all of us experience that. And let me just say in a very small, small illustration here. I don't have any problem spending money on a book. I want to know about the knowledge. If I want the book, I want, the, <clears throat> I want to know the knowledge in that book, and so I'm drawn to that. My wife will tell you I can't, I can't walk by a bookstore in a mall. I have to go in and see what's in there. But, you know, I can walk through the second floor of Sears, go right by all the lawn equipment without any any push at all to buy any of it. None of it. I'm not interested. Some of you the same way. You know, some of you that way about golf. Some people are trying to buy a game, you know, so you buy all the latest equipment, but you wouldn't think about buying a tennis racket. You're not interested. We place the money. Some of you are, are still having to help your adult children. We place the money that's most, where it's most important to us and if we were to look into our checkbook, we would find out if money is not the God, then something else is, and something else is, we will find out soon enough by simply checking our bank accounts. So what do we do? This, this whole thing has power over us. We've hit the crossroads. And many of you have hit the crossroads time and time. I've been preaching on this for 23 years, and the reason I preach on this was what I said. It is an idol in our life. And it's something that we need to deal with, whatever our budget is in the church. And I said last week, if everything goes just this whole year like it has the last six months, then yeah, we're, we're going to meet budget. But that shouldn't be that much of a consideration. It's one thing to give over and above your, your, your giving that God asks you to give um, toward a ministry that's a need, that's a need based. But it's another thing just simply to obey God and say, well, I'm not going to obey him unless there's a real strong need. No, we're talking about your Christian life, your walk with God, where you got off on the detour. And this is where so many people get off the detour. I've seen, or go on a detour. I've seen it over and over and over again. Everything's going good. You're obeying God. Okay, read the Bible. I'll do that. Do this. I'll do that. Witness. Okay, I'll do that. I'll go to, I'll start going to small group. I'll start participating in small group. I'll, and over and over and over again, God says, you know, handle your problem with lust. Handle your problem over here, over here. Now, I want you to give. Whoa, wait a minute. The pastor's just after my money. 
Well, my, my salary's already been set, by the way. But the pastor's just after our money. That church is just after the money just so it can spend it upon itself. And by the way, a lot of church budget does go for what goes on inside the church. And the reason why that is true is not because we're just spending money on, on, on donuts and spending money on frivolous trips, all right? We are discipling you. We are discipling your young people. We are doing something to make a difference in their life so that they can go outside the church doors and make a difference in other people's lives. We're investing in people. And by the way, I'll say this again, churches do not raise children. Parents raise children. And we not only need to have good children's programs and teenage programs, youth programs, but we have to have something for you to teach you how to grow in the Lord in order for you to grow in the Lord to raise your children in the right way. And so what is the, what is the how do we break with this power? What is the answer? There's a principle here in the Bible. We find it in chapter 11 and verse 24. There is one who scatters and yet increases all the more. There is one who withholds what is justly due, and yet there's one who withholds what is justly due, and yet it results only in want. The generous man will be prosperous, and he waters himself will be he waters uh, will himself be watered. In another version it says, "Those who water others will himself be watered." What's what's the key here? The key is generosity. The key is giving away what God has given you. Only way to cure the greed. Only way to cure money's power over you. That's it. And the Bible presents that over and over and over and over and over again. In fact, the principle here in verse 21, if you scatter, you gather. If you gather, you scatter. But what do I mean by that? If you, the Bible says, if you scatter seed, in this case, in Proverbs, money, you scatter the seed, it's an agricultural term, you're going to have a gathering because those seeds are going to take root, those seeds are going to turn into plants, those seeds are going to grow, and, and you're going to bear fruit. The Bible tells us we're not going to bear more seeds, we're going to bear fruit. So we may be planting money and something else comes up. Peace in our heart. Joy in our life. Provision, like we haven't seen before. You don't give to get rich, but if you give, God's going to provide. You can't outgive him. It's true. But the heart, God knows the heart. And this is an agriculture thing. You scatter the seeds, but if you gather them, you gather the seeds, put them into a barn, you say, these are mine. I'm going to hold on to the seeds. It'll never turn into fruit. It'll never scatter. We see the example of Jesus on the cross where Jesus' blood was splattered and scattered. And he gave not 10% of his blood or 5% or 20%. He gave all of his blood. And when that was scattered all throughout the world, he began then to gather people under the kingdom of God. There's a principle here of generosity. And it's the only way to cure it. The only way. And somebody says, well, again, you're, you're, I think you're just uh, trying to hurt me, Pastor, in some way. I'm not going to try to hurt you. In fact, let me just say this. What I'm about to teach you, these, answer these five questions about giving and tithing. I taught, my wife and I taught our three children. I love my three kids. All, both, all three are grown now. But I, I love them. I love my grandkids. 
I loved my kids, and from the time they could understand anything about money, we taught them to these principles. I don't want to hurt my kids. I want to bless my kids. I want my children to be blessed of God. I want them to invite God to get involved in their finances. And that's what you're doing when you begin to give. You're saying, God, I want, I want to be able to pray about my finances. I want you to be involved in my financial life. And so what are the, the questions that people ask? Number one, why or how, what right does God have to ask me to give? What right? After all, it's my money. I can do with it whatever I want to do. If I want to give 1%, no percent, 10%, 20%, 25%, it's my money. But the Bible says this, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains the world and those who dwell in it. Proverbs or Psalms 50 says, if I were hungry, God says, I would tell you, I'm not hungry. I don't need your money. For the world is mine and all it contains. See, the Bible presents us as being not owners of things, but stewards of things, managers. A steward in the Old Testament and the New Testament as well was a manager of someone else's household or possessions. So God gives us time, talents, treasures, the gospel, our families, and so many other things in life as a steward. Then one day, somebody asked, you know, in the, in the last days, as we're studying the book of Revelation, we're going to be addressing this. What about the last days? Hey, what am I going to be judged for? My goodness, my sins have already been judged. Well, we're judged by our stewardship. That's it. Here's the talent. Here's the time. Here are the words. Here are the treasures. Here's the gospel. What did you do? What did you do with what you had to do with? It'll be a test of reward. And it'll be a judgment of reward not of sin. And so God gives you these things, and he gives me these things. And people say, well, you know, it's just, it's mine. It's mine, it's mine, it's mine. But, it, but it's not. It's not. The Bible says this way. God blessed them and said to them, Adam and Eve, he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. That's us. We're, we're to rule. We are to manage God's creation. And when you and I die, guess what? How much we're going to leave behind? How much? All of it. We're going to leave it all behind. We're not taking any of it with us. None of the antiques, none of the cars, none of the homes, none of the furniture, none of the photographs, nothing. It's all going to be left behind to somebody else who might even squander it. We leave it all behind. Why? Because it doesn't belong to us. Everything we have is borrowed. It's sent to us as a trust in order to be trustworthy with our treasure to make a difference in other people's lives. So how much should you give? Well, the Bible gives a minimum. Now, my wife and I have not given the minimum. If I can just give a personal testimony. Uh, since we were in seminary, we were in poverty in seminary. We gave, we gave a tithe. We gave the minimum. We got out of seminary, we were still under poverty wages, planting a church, and felt like we would probably be poor all of our life. We kind of planned for that, we accepted that. And, um, but we started giving 11%, over and above the tithe. And we increased it 1% every year until when we, this church we planted started a building program, and then of course it took even uh, more than that, and it uh, feels like we've been in a building program ever since, but that's, that's another story altogether. All right, but here's what it says. Here's the minimum. People have asked me that. The questions, I've always wanted to ask God. If you had one question to ask God last fall, if you remember that one 
question that came up time and time and time again. What is the tithe? It says bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing until it overflows. The tithe means a tenth portion. It's 10%. 10%. Began with Abraham and you know, Brad's already explained all that to you all the way through the Old Testament. And Jesus said this, But woe to you, Pharisees, for you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet disregard justice and the love of God. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. So Jesus was saying, yeah, this, this is the middle. It's not grace giving. It's not giving over and above. But it is a, a place to begin. Now, you know, here's the thing. If, if no, 10% was not in the Bible, if 10% was just not there, um, how much would you think is fair? See, we never know, would we? We wouldn't know the starting point because I don't know how much to tell you to serve God. You serve God with all your life, but how much, do you, I mean, how many hours a week you put it? Well, we don't know. And so you think to yourself, well, I'm a sharecropper with God, right? I'm a manager. He's to pay me a wage for managing his creation. And so if this represents, uh, these 10 ones represent your income, you might think, well, can we split it 50 50? You know, God takes 50 and I take 50. And wow, God, would, would that be would, be, would I be taking too much to do that? And God says, oh, no, I don't want you to take, you, you've got to make a living for your family. You have to pay bills. I understand that. And I want you to manage the rest of your income, whatever's left over, to my glory, he says. I want you to honor me with it, with whatever you do with it. Okay, well, wow, God, thank you very much. Then I'll give you, I don't know, 30%. How about that? Three of these ones, and I'll keep seven. He says, no, you, you know, I, really, you're, you're going to need to make a living for your family. And so I may tell you one day to give 30% of your income from a year to year. But right now, uh, this is all I want. To further the kingdom on the earth, for the storehouse, to make sure the needs of the church body, the community of Christ, and the needs are met, and this church and every church could be do missions around the world, just one. And I, I know that that's a big step when you're not given anything. I know that's huge. We're going to be looking at that in just a moment. But just one. So when you look at it proportionately, the minimum, the floor of giving is only 10%. Not, wow, it's 10%. It's only 10 So where should I give? Where? The Bible says to the storehouse. That's, that's here. It says in Deuteronomy, bring this tithe to the designated place of worship. 1 Corinthians tells us to bring it the first day of the week right here. You say, well, what I do, I kind of split things up. And I, I give so much to this ministry. And so, you, you know, the, the problem to that is this. You start off with 10%. You say, okay, God, this is your money. And the rest of it is mine to do with it whatever I want to do with it. I don't have to answer to you for that 90. But this is the 10, and this is what I'm going to give. This is all I'm going to give. And so a missionary comes along and says, well, I, I, need, I need some support. You say, okay, I'll give you 1%. So the church gets 9 then we have a big global impact conference, which we're going to have in September. And you think to yourself, oh, I need to give this missionary something. So there's 20%. And here's a guy starting a church, and I give another 20. And all of a sudden now, the church is down to 2 or 3%. But you're still, you still think, I'm tithing. Well, it, it, you know, sooner or later, 
that church will have to, whatever church that is, if everybody does that, would have to close its doors, and therefore, there will be no missions for that church. There will be no support. There will be no missionaries coming in. There will be no uh, food in the house for you to grow and for your kids to grow. God has set this aside. And yes, I do give. My wife and I do give to other organizations and other things. But it's always above and beyond the tithe because the tithe is the Lord's. The Bible puts it this way in Leviticus. Thus all the tithe of the land, the seed of the land, the fruit of the tree is, in, is of the Lord. It is holy. That means it's set apart. It is holy to the Lord. You say, well, I just don't think I can, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm tithing. As Brad said a little while ago, it almost becomes like a rote thing. Just let me, let me say this. And, and this is my own conviction because I've got to question myself even at this point. Am I giving sacrificially? Jesus gave his blood on the cross sacrificially. Sacrificially, I have not given until I've given to the point of having to give up something. Sacrifice something. You know, if you're just, oh, I'm giving the 10%, so therefore I'm, I'm covered. In fact, some of the same people, very, let me just say, very committed to this church. We'll just skip this service. Oh, I already tithe. I already tithe. But you see, God may be working in our life to do even beyond that. Now, when do you give it? It's very important. You give it, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 16, the first day of the week. Why is it the first fruit? It, it talks about giving as the first fruit. Why? I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, I just don't think tithing works. And I said, why? He said, well, I pay all my bills. I do everything I need to do. At the end of the month, whatever I have left over, I give, and it's never 10%. That's not how it works. It's a step of faith every month or a step of faith every paycheck. We give the 10% first, the tithe first, and then watch God stretch the other 90% as we obey him in our, in our spending. Stretch the other 90% far even beyond the 100%. That's the step of faith. It comes first. And then how do you get started? Last question. How in the world do we get started? You have to get started with a commitment, with a step of faith. Everything in in our Christian life begins with a step of faith. Coming to Christ, if you've never received Christ into your heart, doing that takes a step of faith on your part, a commitment on your part. Now, here's what we're going to do. We understand where you are coming from. We, we understand that, boy, that's a big step. Big step. Nothing to 10%. That's a big step. And some of you say, well, I'm, I'm going to do this incrementally, you know, whatever that word is. And... Uh, I've already preached once here, guys. And, uh, and so there it is. You're going to, okay. But here's what we're willing to do, okay? There's a church in Oklahoma that they did a 90-day challenge. And they challenged their um, church to tithe for 90 days. And if God did not bless them, not just talking about financially here, but, God, you know I mean, after all, you plant seeds, you don't get seeds, you get apples. You may get something even, a whole lot better than money. And so you plant the seed of money, you may get something totally different. But if God, they said, if God did not bless your life in those 90 days and you regretted tithing, they would refund all your tithing for those 90 days. And so I'll, I'll, I'll say that for here too. If you tithe for 90 days and God does not bless your life, that church in Oklahoma will refund your money. <laughs> 
I'm kidding. No. no. <clears throat> I don't know what church that is anymore, so I have to look them up. But, um, no, we will do that. Now, it doesn't mean, oh, I've given twice during the 90 days, and God didn't bless me, so I want my money back. No. You haven't tithed before. You're not tithing now. And you're willing to say, I'm willing to tithe for the next 90 days, and you tithe every single paycheck. At the end of that 90 days, that's the test. Test me now, says the Lord, if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour out a blessing until it overflows. If your blessing does not overflow, if the word of God is not true, then you let us know privately. Nobody will know but you and the financial secretary. But you call her up at the end of 90 days and say, it didn't work for me. I'd like my money back. We will give it back. It's a step of faith for you for 90 days, step of faith for us. Now, all those instructions are going to be on the back of your card that you're going to receive uh, in the mail uh, this week. I think I've got a sample of that. Um, I do, uh, over here in the pew. Uh, so, uh, I'll put it on the back. It's going to be a pink card, and over on the back, it's going to give instructions on that 90-day challenge. And I want to challenge, even though we're not going to make the same offer, money back, guarantee, but I want to challenge all of you tithers to do something to give sacrificially over and above the tithe to the house, house of the Lord, to the ministry of God for those 90 days and see if God will not also bring you a new blessing in life. And so there's the challenge to us. The Bible says, test me now, saith the Lord, and I will, not pour, I will pour out for you a blessing until it overcomes. And so we look into the mirror today. And here's the thing. Um, I've discovered through this message that if you're not tithing, your, your problem is not that you're stingy, you're tithing. The problem with this problem and any other problem that we come to the fork in the road and take the wrong road, it's a matter of what's in the mirror. It's a matter of first love. It is a matter of what comes first in our life. Not a matter of a character issue of, of being selfish and we're all selfish. We're just showing it in different ways. So you come to the place in the road, and God says, this is what I want you to do as a Christian. You can stay on the interstate that God has placed you on, or you can veer off and think, hey, I'm okay. I mean, I can see the interstate. See, there it goes. I can see it from here. But there's a closeness there with God that you won't feel because you've taken the wrong road. So many people get off on this place right here. I challenge you not to do that. Next week, we're going to come back, and we're going to ask you, that challenge. I'll talk to you about it in the mail this week. I'll send you something. But I would, not, I would not ask you to do something I'm not doing myself. And I certainly wouldn't ask you to do something that I haven't already taught my children, my own kids. And so, just like I want them to be blessed, and I want God to be involved in my finances, I want God to be involved in yours as well. Let's pray together. In the quietness of this moment, um, would you ask God right now to reveal to you what's in the mirror, the mirror of desire? And we may even say to him today, God, you're moving in my heart about giving or something else. could be something else. And God, it's hard. God, it's tough. Would you help me? Would you help me, God, in this area of my life? And then, if you've never received Christ, Jesus scattered his blood 
for you. And maybe that first step you need to take as you come to the fork of the road is to decide between Jesus and a life without him. If you want to follow Jesus, we're going to have an invitation in a moment. I'm going to ask you to come forward and take one of the pastors by the hand and just say, I want to know Jesus. Take a stand for him. Others want to come to the altar, and it may not be about their giving. It may be something else and some, even somebody else's life that you're just really convicted about this morning to pray for. The altar is open. You come. Maybe what's happening to our police this past week, such a tragedy. Maybe you just want to come to the altar and pray for them as we will tonight. Right now, as JT and the band leads us in this song, you come. Let's stand together.